journey. Um, I remind you again that I am overwhelming you with information. I'm overwhelming you with experience. I'm overwhelming you with tools and strategies. Um, and the point is for you to take this back to your own spiritual woodshed and to begin practicing these things. Not, immediately, not immediate perfection, but practicing these things. And many times we want the easy one, two, three, so we can go back and, you know, and move on to something else. No, these are things that you should be applying in your life weeks to come, months to come, and for some years to come. Uh, but nonetheless, this week is important and has been important as we've looked at Elijah and looked at his life and looked at how he abided in God's presence and God and and, and importantly, God's word abiding in him and how God's word, verbal utterance is just as important for us as God's word, the written utterance. And so many times I've said before that we want and we we don't realize sometimes what we want. And so we will ask God and we want God to speak loudly and clearly and audibly and visit us, which I will be like Daniel chapter 10 when his friends um, were with them and when the glory of God showed they ran, you know, they were not ready for the glory that they had been asking for, so to speak. But in this scenario, I do not want you to discount the importance of the written utterance, that is the word of God, right? Um, it's just as important as the audible verbal utterance. What do I mean? When we look at Luke chapter 4, that will support the importance of knowing the written utterance and allowing that to abide into our own hearts and minds and lives. Because Jesus quoted the written utterance, the, the word of God. He quoted that um, and he quoted it accurately. And when he quoted the word of God accurately... From Deuteronomy chapter 8 and Deuteronomy chapter 6, 13 and 6, 18, there was three different occurrences. The enemy, that is uh, the devil, Satan, soon as he was exiting the wilderness, this is in your devotional, um, in Luke chapter 4, he had, Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days, right? And as soon as he completed his wilderness experience and his fasting, he was hungry and the enemy approached him. And when the enemy approached him, um, the enemy asked him to turn the bread, I mean, turn the, the stones into bread. And then in verse uh, three and four, or verse four rather, it says, uh, but Jesus answered the enemy, or answered Satan, it is written, right? It is written. He's talking about the, 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 the written utterance of God's voice, God's word, right? It's just as important. And so it's not just that we're coveting uh, having God to speak to us audibly, but we need to learn how to be obedient to the word that has already been written, right? Uh, stewardship. But what Jesus did in that past, in that encounter is something that we cannot overlook. When Satan approached him, he says in verse 4 of Luke chapter 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, verse 4, right? What Jesus is doing 
is he is quoting, he's declaring with exactness, with accuracy, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. It's not half, it's not somewhat, it is clear, it is very clear that this is what he's quoting, this is what he's declaring. And when he declares with accuracy what he knows to be true, the enemy has to flee, right? Resist the, resist the devil, he shall flee. But we also know the pattern of unclean things is that they often return. How do we know this? Because the enemy comes back. And we look again around about verse 5 through 8. Um, the enemy comes again, and then the Bible says, just follow me, I'm, I'm, I'm just going with the flow. Uh, then the devil taking him to the high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you, Jesus, and their glory, for it's been given to me, and I'll give it to whoever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, all this will be yours. And then Jesus responds in verse 8. He says, get behind me, Satan, for it is written. He's talking about the written utterance of God, of God's word, right? He's talking about the word of God. It has been written. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 13. He's declaring that because he didn't have to open his Bible. It is already in him, right? He declares that and it's so accurate that it speaks specifically to his situation, so when you get the word and when you learn how to abide in God's presence and allow God's word to abide in you, then you begin to build a word bank that so that whatever you experience, you don't have to ask someone else first. I had a blessing. Someone, uh, one of my friends, loved ones, emailed me. I would text me and say, you know what? Before there was ever such thing as a word bank, before that was ever brought to my, my, my mind frame, when I encountered this situation that I just encountered, my first response would have been to call you, the pastor, and say, pray for this person. Instead, I said, let me sit down and write in my journal a prayer and let me look and surf and sift through the word of God to try to find some scriptures that can speak to this situation and let me pray to God myself first. And what, what do you know? I went to sleep, I woke up, I was refreshed, and I just felt, I felt content. Now I'm finally coming to you, just letting you know, put them on your prayer list, but I handled it first myself. See, this is how we begin to grow. Because your first response isn't to call the elders of the church, James, the book of James. If your first response is not to call someone else. The first response is for you yourself to pray for yourself. You yourself to seek God and to sift and to make sure you're increasing your word bank. What do you need to learn, you ask? That's a great question. Pay attention to where you are in your life. It's all in your devotional from yesterday, and you begin to discover these things. But what I'm saying is that Jesus himself quotes the word of God. He declares the word of God over his situation in his hemisphere. As a result, the enemy has to flee. And then the third encounter happens, and it says in, in, in right about verse 9, the last time that the enemy approaches him. This is important for today's message. This is today's message. And it says that 
that the enemy brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. Uh, now, here he is. Here he is. Watch the, the word subtle. Put the word subtle um, somewhere on your radar. The subtle, subtle. The enemy is subtle. S-U-B-T-L-E. Here he is. He realizes Jesus knows the word. So he's going to try to make reference to the word. But he's kind of leaving something out and, you know, he's not fully quoting it, but maybe making a slight reference to it, a half truth. And so here he is. He's like, for it is written, um, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. <laughs> but see, when you know the, the, the word of God for yourself and not what somebody told you, you can respond like Jesus did. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And there he is declaring Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 13, and then the Bible says, now the devil had ended every temptation. He departed from him until an opportune time. And so that's very powerful because for me, Jesus is using the sword instead of pointing to the sword. He's picking up the sword, the word of God, and he's wielding it. He's using it and not just pointing to it in reference. This is important because we need to understand the power of being able to declare the word of God over our life in our circumstances and not just declaring it, but declaring it with accuracy and with confidence, right? Because if you do not come at the enemy correctly, there could be uh, a little more stress a little more warfare, a little more, um, it, it, can, it, can, it can be a little more difficult for you. I'm going to be honest with you. You come at them correct, but of course, at the end of the day, there are more angels on our side than it is on theirs. But if and when you do speak to an unclean thing, make sure you come correctly. Jesus shows us how you come correctly. You come correct. But let me give you an example of when you don't come correct or when you are timid or when you don't have the accuracy that you need or you think you have. Right. And so the enemy is subtle. We see he's subtle because when he approaches Jesus the third time, he tries to mingle in a little scripture here, a little scripture there, a little bit of it and try to confuse you know, uh, Jesus, but it didn't work. But look at what happens when you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Watch how subtle the enemy is, and I bid you a good morning. Because the, the, the question that I bid to you today is, did the Lord really say that? The question today is, did the Lord really say that? Did God really... Does the word truly say that? Did that really happen? Are you sure about it? Are you confident that you're sure? Did you investigate it yourself? Or is it what somebody else told you? So, so let, me, let me help you. Let me help you. 
In chapter 2, before Eve was ever on the scene, God was having a conversation with Adam. And then God gives Adam a word, a commandment, a commandment which is now the word given to Adam. And Adam now has the word of God in his presence. Look at what happens. It says in verse 15 of chapter 2, the Lord God took the man, Adam, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man. He said to the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Verse 17. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everybody with that? And then he says this. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Everybody got that. It, do not eat from, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat from it, you will surely die. Chapter three. Now Eve is on the scene. Adam has a wife, has a partner, has a counterpart. And now they are in the Garden of Eden and the Bible says that the enemy, that is Satan, that is the serpent, you don't even have to think of it in the form of a snake. Just think of him in the form of a whisper. He shows up and he approaches Eve. And before anybody blames Eve and before we, here's the thing, we blame Eve. But if you look closely at the text, Adam was with her the entire time of this encounter. Neither here nor there, we sometimes believe what people tell us instead of investigating our own selves, right? So, so look at what the text, look, look at what happens. It says, verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle. Everybody keep in mind that word subtle. He was more subtle than any of the other wild animals uh, the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any of the trees in the garden. He's so subtle. From you, you're not supposed to eat of any of you can't eat of nothing, nothing in the garden. Did God really say that though? Did God really say you must not eat of none of these fruit from anything in the garden? He plants the seed. And then look at her, look at her response. Then the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from uh, the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, 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 before you get upset with me, just pay attention to the subtle shift. Her response is, God said, you must not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. If you eat from it, you will surely die. As a matter of fact, if you touch it, you're going to die. When I go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 and 17, uh, yeah, it says, you must not eat from the tree, for if you eat from it, you will die. Eve says, the Lord said, if you eat from the tree, you're going to die. As a matter of fact, if you touch it, you're going to die too. And then the enemy comes back based on her response and based on how she articulates 
the word of God, because now this is God's word. But guess what? This is God's word that she got from somebody else. Ah, don't get ahead of yourself. But let me read, let me read this. It says, this is, how, this is how the enemy responds to her. You will not certainly die. Come on, you're gonna, you're gonna die if you look at if you look at the fruit, you're gonna die. Surely God didn't, surely God didn't say you're gonna die. Certainly you won't die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. But the woman then saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was right there with her the whole time. And guess what? He ate it too. So yes, the enemy was talking to her, but the man was there too. And he was subtle when he says to her, are you sure that God said you can't eat from anything? And her response for me is something that I want to pay very close attention to because although we might question and say, no, no, it's the same thing. Just be, be, be mindful how subtle the enemy is because what the enemy looks for in your life is just a little bit of incongruency. And where there is incongruency, he will attempt to expose it. And if he can expose it, then he has an opportunity to cause or cast confusion. I'm not questioning much, but what I do want to do is ask you or pay, have you to pay attention to this. Eve didn't hear the declaration directly from God. She heard it through someone else. Pay attention. What Eve said, God said, or God's word, what was God's word? wasn't something she encountered herself. It was something her husband told her. But right now I'm just going to say someone else told her what God said, what the word of God said, right? Utterance. It's not something, let's say, perhaps she experienced herself, right? And so you got to be careful when you are declaring something that someone else told you that you didn't have the opportunity to go and investigate your own self, right? Because the enemy will look for any gap, any incongruency, and he will cause confusion that way. Most of us are quoting scripture and believing things someone else told us, and we never took the time to challenge it or investigate it and to find the authenticity ourselves. Why? Because we trust the person who told us. Because we love the person who told us. Right? And so because we love the person who told us what the word of God said, and because it sounds accurate, we never go and discover or challenge or investigate it ourselves. Many of us are quoting scripture that we have no idea where it's located because we've never seen it ourselves. And so... God gives Adam a command. Everybody with me? Adam shares with Eve the word that God gave him. Do not eat of the tree, and if you touch it, the tree, if you touch the tree, you're going to die. The enemy comes, asks her, she tells him this, and then he begins to cause doubt in her mind because clearly it doesn't make sense if you look at the if you touch the tree you gonna if you touch the fruit you gonna die surely 
it, that, it, is that the kind of God you serve? Well, I mean, that's 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 what he said. Are you sure that's what he said? Is that what really God said? And then now she's questioning what God says, and as a result, she falls because she didn't come correct. Because she really didn't truly know the word of God. She was basing everything she was doing, just for those of you who are tr trying not to listen to me because I'm, you feel like I'm distorting what you understand about Adam and Eve. Read it for yourself and don't just read what somebody else has told you. But when you look at the text, one way the enemy works is that there's a small incongruency in what she said that God actually said. And so when you look at this text, there's another thing. You have to be careful if you always hear the word, but never investigate it and experience it for yourself, right? Be careful if you always hear the word of God, but you never investigate and experience it for yourself. You can't fully thrive abiding in somebody else's word that they have in their heart and you never take the time to allow the word of God to abide in you. Humor me for a moment. As the word of God is passed from Adam to Eve, there seems to be a small incongruency in it. God tells Adam, don't eat the fruit, you're gonna die. Somehow, some way, when the word gets to Eve, it's don't eat the, the, the fruit and don't touch it. If you eat it and you touch it, you're going to die. Now, now, be careful because when the word of God is passed from one person to another, things begin to get lost in translation and tradition. Get this. You have to be careful when you are sharing or transferring information especially the word of God, but any information, because things begin to get lost in translation and in and or in tradition. What do I mean? This is what I think it says, translation. This is what we have always said it was, tradition. Because we've always said it was this, and because grandmama said and granddaddy and cousins and friends says this, this is what it is. And because this is tradition or because this is my translation, a lot gets lost from one person to another when it comes to the word of God or anything. Rather, when you play telephone, when you tell me what you think you know or tell me what somebody else told you or tell me what you've always done, a lot of the word of God gets lost. So this is why it's important that no matter what the preacher says, no matter what your friends say, no matter what you have heard, you have to go and investigate scripture for your own self. You got to you got to you got to speak to that lazy spirit and bind it and cast it out because you need the word of God in your heart. Now, get this. Based on the subtle incongruency, the subtle pattern in which Adam, God gives Adam a word. Adam shares the word and he adds a little more on to the word. 
I'm not saying it's bad, good, or indifferent. I'm just trying to share with you how the enemy will use the incongruency and cause doubt. He says, don't eat the fruit. As a matter of fact, if you touch the fruit, God said you're going to die. If this is true and you see this pattern, humor me for a moment. What happens if Satan never shows up when he shows up to tempt Eve? If Adam says one thing and then it gets to Eve and she says, well, you can't eat nor can you touch the fruit. If the enemy doesn't show up when he shows up, I wonder what Eve would have taught her children. I wonder what Eve would have taught her friends and family. If Adam told Eve this, what would Eve have told other people? What would they have told somebody else that God actually said? Eventually, it would have been, don't eat from the, don't eat the fruit from the tree or you're going to die. Then it becomes, don't eat nor touch the fruit on the tree. You're going to die. It would have become, don't even look at the tree. If you eat the tree, if you touch the, the fruit, if you look hard at the fruit, you're going to die. That's what I was told the word of God said. If It would have gotten so bad that perhaps you can't even talk about the fruit on the tree. If you talk about the fruit on the tree, you're going to die. You can't look at the fruit on the tree. You can't talk about the fruit on the tree. You can't touch it. You can't eat it. If you do any of those things, the Bible says you're going to die. Sound familiar? And, and because it sounds convincing, you now going around telling somebody you can't get close to the tree. You can't touch the tree. You can't talk about the tree. You can't eat the fruit from the tree. If you do any of these things, you're going to die because the word get lost in translation and tradition. And because you never stopped to challenge what you understand the word of God to actually mean. What do you mean? Let me help you. You don't believe this to be true? God helps those who help themselves. Most of us, if you're absolutely honest, you believe that to be a biblical truth and scripture somewhere in the Bible. But somehow, somewhere, a principle was distorted. Tradition happened, translation happened, and somebody said out loud, God helps those who help themselves, and you think, or I think, it's biblical truth, and that's the furthest from the gospel. And so now the enemy comes in and makes you believe that if you mess up and you aren't productive, that God's going to turn his back on you. And now you have to perform and do a lot of, you know, skipping and jumping and jumping through hoops because God only helps those who are helping themselves. Are y'all listening to me? It's not in the text, but it sounds like it's in the text. And because somebody you love said it's true, you think the Bible says God helps those who helps themselves, but there is no scripture that says that. Oh, let me help you. Money is the root of all evil. Sounds about right, but the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible does say the love of money is the root of all evil. You see the small, subtle incongruency? And because we never challenge that, we, we don't even realize it. We don't even say the love of money. We just say money is the root of all evil. I hear people say it. I used to say it. Don't even lie. When you say it, you take out the love of money, you say the money is the root of all evil. And so now we're misquoting what is scriptural truth. 
When the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, therefore, when we see people who are rich and who are wealthy, we automatically associate somehow, some shape, form, or fashion that there's evil connected to them because they're wealthy, when in fact, it's not the fact that they're wealthy. Nothing wrong with being wealthy and being rich. The Bible says when it becomes your God and you begin to love money more than you love anything else. What am I saying? The word of God must abide in you. But somebody else's version of the word of God can't abide in you. The word of God that you are investigating and that you are sitting with needs to abide in you and not what somebody else said about the word of God. What somebody else said about the word of God might get you to the river. But at some point in time, you need to go and buy your own Bible with a translation you can understand and start asking some questions so that you can learn on your own. Or let me help you with this one. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Sounds about right. But if that is so fur, fur, that can be further from the truth. The Bible didn't say cleanliness is next to godliness. But because it sounds true, it sounds practical, you're repeating what somebody else said, and now you're associating this with God. So if you just look clean, you don't have to be clean, you can just look clean. You can just, you know, make things look a little clean and think that that performance is going to get God's attention and your insides are dying. Things get lost in translation and tradition. Adam gave Eve a word that had a small incongruency to it, I can't blame him fully because she also has a responsibility to go to, to God herself and to make sure she understands what she understands. It's easy. I know it's easy for us to look at this from this perspective, but I'm teaching a principle so I get to be able to use and look at this with this perspective, right? Because you have to make sure that you are investigating scripture so that when you get to open your mouth, that you come at the unclean thing correct. You don't, you don't quote what somebody else quoted you, right? You don't quote what you think you know. You quote and you declare what you understand. Or, or somebody say, people say to you, God works in mysterious ways. Doesn't he? Doesn't God work in mysterious ways? What? I wonder why do we keep saying God works in mysterious ways when in fact Isaiah 55, I think about verse 8 says God's ways are not our ways. It says God's thoughts are not our thoughts. But then if you look at Jeremiah 29 and 13, the Bible says or the Lord says, if you would just seek me with all of your heart, you will Find me. I'm not mysterious. I'm trying to make myself available and known to you. And if you abide in me and allow my word to abide in you, you will discover I'm not mysterious. I want to be made known and manifest. Although we understand the principle that people are trying to share we quote this and we allow this to be something that it's not because it got lost in translation and tradition. So the point that I'm trying to help you to understand is that declaring the word of God 
with accuracy and in context is going to be important for this season that you're entering. If you only have one scripture in your word bank, if you only have one scripture in your word bank, make sure it's as accurate as you fully understand it by way of experience. The Lord reserves the right to provide you more revelation as you grow. And what you thought you understood about a passage, he provides you more revelation so you see more in a text. But at least make sure that what you believe is more than what I tell you. But what you sit down and in God's presence crucifying your flesh, you ask God to reveal to you more. Somebody said, the Lord won't put more on you than you can bear. And so, although that principle reigns true, most people will not be able to find that scripture anywhere in the Bible. And what most people do is, we just assume, oh, he won't put more on you than you can bear. Yeah, but where are you getting that from? What principle are you getting that from? What scripture are you getting that from? If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, the Bible says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as uh, common to man, but God is faithful, who would not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with every temptation will also make a way of escape from it that you may be able to bear it so it's not just as simple as oh the lord won't put more on you than you can bear but with every temptation with every test the lord will provide an exit route or in way for you to be able to experience undergo it and bear it right so it's more to that principle than just oh the lord won't give you more than you can bear i need you to quote all the scripture not just some of it Right. When we think about that, yes, the Bible says the, the Lord says, let not your heart be troubled. The Lord says, take my 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 burden. He says, take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Yes, the Lord says these things. The Bible says in in Galatians six and two, that if you have a heavy burden, serve one another and help one another to carry the burden. So before we're just quoting a script, the Lord won't put more on you than you can bear. The, might, the Lord might have you in somebody's presence who is carrying a burden because you need to help them to carry that burden. It's easy just to quote a scripture or quote something you think you know, but most of us have no idea where that is in the Bible. And so that can become dangerous because the enemy is crafty and he's subtle. So speak it, but you deserve the right and the Lord deserves the right for you to be a good steward over it and go and find it and sit with it yourself. So that when you are quoting scripture, that you're not just quoting what you think you know or what somebody else heard. You know, because if I say to you, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Yeah. Where is that? Most people won't tell you where it is because they don't know where it is. That's not a shot, but that's not the whole scripture, though. The Bible says no weapon formed against you, against me shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, 
you shall condemn. And then it goes on to say, this is the heritage. This is the pattern. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And the Bible says, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. This is the heritage. This is what God has done since the beginning. Look at the pattern. There's so much more power in the text and not just quoting part A of a verse. Or when somebody, this is the last thing, when somebody says for um, weeping endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Where does it say that? Most of us don't know where it is. We've heard it and we quote it, but you don't know where it is. Yes. So Isaiah 54, 17 is no weapon formed against me shall prosper. But when it says no weapon, when it says weeping shall endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning, that's Psalms 30, verse 5. But there's more to the text. It says, for God's anger is for is but for a moment, and his favor is for life. Then it goes on to say, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You're missing half the power of the text. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. For those of us who wrestle with performance and God is upset and he's always upset with me, but he has favor and his favor is for life. There's power in the text and you're only quoting half of it because you never sat down and looked at it for your own self. Eve teaches us the power of declaring a scripture that perhaps we haven't had a chance to investigate ourselves. There's more power there. You need to, just like I need to, make sure that everything you somebody else taught you and everything that you think you know, begin to not question it, investigate it. Build your word bank that way. Think about everything you think you know, everything that you understand, every scripture you quoted, that in all honesty, you can't tell yourself or anybody where it is, start there. Build your word bank from words that are already in the vicinity. And may the Lord keep you. May the Lord guide you. May the Lord love on you today, tomorrow, this weekend, until we meet again. Amen. Y'all have a wonderful day. Listen, we're not here tomorrow. We're not here Sunday. We're still fasting. We're here Monday, and that's going to be 19, 20, 21. We're going to be probably like day 22 when we get back. Um, Y'all, we have 11 days left. Finish strong. The enemy does not want you to finish strong, but you will finish strong. You will finish strong. Build your word bank this week. Add words to your word bank that you believe and that you know investigate the scripture for your own self because what somebody else told you could have gotten some things could have gotten lost in translation and or tradition people mean well they do mean well but your life depends on this so don't let your life depend on a word that get lost in translation you need to sit down yourself and start investigating scripture for your own self. I love you all with the love of Jesus Christ. Y'all get out of here. Get off the phone, the teleconference, get off of...